Our text this morning, Psalm 63, as the heading uh, in your Bible probably tells you, David wrote this psalm either in the wilderness or about a time in the wilderness of Judah. But this psalm is so full of hope and longing and worship and joy and devotion. One of the difficult things about preaching a text like this is that it's easy to turn people off at the very beginning. You know, we're met this morning as a body of believers in many different stages of life. Comings and goings. Many different states of joy and sorrow. So I want to ask this of every one of us this morning. No matter where the Lord has you, and He has you here, let's lean into this psalm together. In great joy or great pain, or dull apathy, tune your ear to the Word of God this morning and to the preaching of it. God's Word is powerful, and it always accomplishes everything that He sends it to do. So let's stand, and let's read Psalm 63 together. We're going to read the whole psalm. This is God's Word. O God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise You. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to You as a group, as a people called by Your name in different stages of life, in different states of joy and sorrow. Speak to each of us today through Your Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I said, this psalm... you know, Yes, please be seated. As I, as I said, this psalm, it's full of hope and longing, and worship, and joy, and devotion. Isn't that odd? See, we can't say for certain which of the difficult life experiences has driven David into the wilderness. But this much we know, he's far from home. 
He's left the luxury and the security of the palace, the closeness of many friendships, and most painfully for David, most painfully, the sounds, the sights, the smells, the experience of the sacrifices of the tabernacle worship. Now, I want you to hear this. David is in an actual wilderness, but the actual wilderness is probably not where the pain is. You see, the thing that actually drove him out of Jerusalem was almost certainly a relational wilderness. Derek Kidner, one of, one of the great commentators of the Psalms and the Proverbs, he says that the mention of the king in verse 11 removes any doubt in his mind that this event that drove David out was the conspiracy of David's own son, Absalom, to usurp the throne. Now, I think Kidner is right, but if it's another time, David would have certainly sung this psalm when he had uh, fleed from his own son. Now, if you don't know the story, you can read it this afternoon. It's in 2 Samuel 15. In summary, David's own son, Absalom, has an insatiable desire to rule. And through conniving deception... Underhanded deals, Absalom has turned the hearts of many in Jerusalem away from David, the true king, to himself. And David discovers what's happening, and he's forced to flee Jerusalem and wait on the Lord. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been the leader of a nation. Uh, a coup is difficult enough to endure. But when it is perpetuated by your own flesh and blood, the pain inside is a greater pain. His own child has turned against him. And that's why all this joy and hope is so odd to us. But knowing it, but knowing that it's strange that David is experiencing so much joy and worship in the midst of all this pain, Let's go boldly into this psalm together. Let's experience it with him. Now, the sermon's going to have three movements this morning. First, we're going to step into this psalm with David. No matter where you are this morning, enter this psalm, and let's say what David says, and let's see what he sees, and let's feel what he feels as we can. And we, once we've done that, I want to show you two reasons. Two reasons I think David can rejoice in the midst of so much suffering. And finally, I want to invite us to learn humbly from him and respond. So let's do it. Here we go. Let's, let's jump into the psalm. Keep your bulletin or your Bible handy. And, and let's look through this together. Look at verses 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Look at the pronouns in this passage. I and you, your, my. It's so personal. Listen, I am a passionate proponent 
of the community aspect of the Christian life. I think if, if we've done anything wrong in evangelicalism, we have undervalued that God is saving a people for himself, not just persons. But this psalm is intensely personal. It's as if all the world has faded into a background blur and the only beings in the universe are David and his God. David says, earnestly I seek you. Earnestly, eagerly, unflinchingly, David is seeking God. I heard a pastor recently put it like this. He said, have you ever lost your wallet or your passport or something that will ruin your life if you don't find it? Like your grandmother's cornbread recipe. I remember once I lost a really important document. I tore my office apart. By the end, I was throwing things all over the room. My wife thought I had lost my mind. It looked like we had been robbed. I looked in every place more than once. I looked in every drawer, and under and behind every piece of furniture. Have you ever sought God like that? David did. His soul was so thirsty. His flesh was fainting for God. There is no division between the physical and the spiritual and the emotional. We are one being. And David's everything is longing for God. His flesh is fainting for him. And like a man lost in a dry wilderness, David had a thirst that only the love of God could quench. So he sought after God like a man destroying his office. And where did he look? Look at verses 2 through 4. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, <clears throat> beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Notice the pronouns again. <clears throat> so personal. David longed for the Lord. He wants to behold the power and the glory of the Lord so longing, he looked upon God in the sanctuary. He worshiped. His longing did not drive him away from worshiping God. It drove him to worshiping God. Now forgive me as I pry. Come to gathered worship. I get it. There are business trips and there are, there are sports outings, and there are vacations. I know. When you can be here, be here. And gaze upon the Lord in worship. Don't let a late Saturday night or a groggy Sunday morning prevent you from life. Because it's here in the house of God. Bring your doubts, bring your apathy and your fear and your anger and your longing and your joy and your worship, but bring it to God. Come and worship with His people and see Him. David reminds us that the steadfast love of God is better than life. 
God's love is better than life. It's better than life. Let that sink in. And so he says, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. When your name is spoken or even thought of, I will lift my hands and praise you. Desert wilderness or palace table, my lips will praise you. And what does David expect to happen when he does it? Look at verses 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David has worshipped God, and God has satisfied his soul as with fat and rich food. He says, I will praise you with joyful lips. I I wish we could feel what David's feeling right now. I I really hope that throughout the service, some of us have begun to. I I truly do. But I'm going to try to help us. You see, there's this place called Sugar's Ribs. And it's up on the hill to the right of the ridge cut near East Ridge. You all know where it is. When you walk in... They have like 10 whole chickens on a burning rotisserie wall. It is glorious. I don't know how they do it. I don't know what they put on it. But it is the best chicken I have ever had in my life. I won't tell you by how much. Just exaggerate it in your own mind. It is that good. I order a half chicken, a side of grilled onions, and Texas pintos. That's my staple. Now, I don't normally like dark meat. A lot of times, if I, if I go to a cookout and there's fried chicken, and it, I'm, I'm looking for the chicken breast, I pick around on that a little bit. Guys, in approximately 10 minutes after they bring the food out, there is nothing left. I have meditated over this chicken. I have, I have chewed on it. I have picked at it. I have turned it over to make sure that there's not a morsel hiding on the bone side. I mean, it is gone. And the oil and the spices and the fire and the chicken, they make for one of the most satisfying meals you can eat in under 12 minutes. And here's the thing. It stays with you. For the rest of the day, your lips are coated with the lingering flavor and fragrance of this holy glaze. (laughs) Your fingers carry the dense aroma wherever you go for about the next six hours. I have walked into my house and my wife says, did you eat it, sugars? Because I smell of it. In my mind at this moment, I can still taste it. And I long for the next one. David's worship of the Lord has left a satisfying taste on his praising lips. And he carries that satisfaction to his bed at night. And in the watches of even sleepless nights, he remembers the steadfast love of God and he savors it. Friends, David is having a feast in the wilderness. I don't know how else to put it. 
deep, rich soul satisfaction in God. Now you may say, Eric, I just don't think I can do that right now. I've crawled through five wildernesses, and every time I think I get to the edge, I, it opens up into another one. Or worse, the fiery arrows of my enemies. Listen, I hear that. And in the last couple of years, I have felt it deeply in my own life and in the lives of people I love. And it makes me afraid to preach a sermon like this. But I think the life of David can teach us something here. Hear this. David is not stronger than the wilderness. His God is. And there's something else. This psalm is not about the wilderness. Did you notice that? We know he's in the wilderness. That's not what it's about. It's about everything that came before it. And everything that's going to come after it. David does not walk into this wilderness with a blank soul slate and just rise to the occasion. He walks into it with a history of faith and doubting and longing and struggle and joy and worship and sin and restoration and hiding and being found. Before he could even walk Bouncing on Jesse's knee. Probably before he could even comprehend, he was hearing stories of the Passover. Rescue from Egypt. Provision in the wilderness. A coming into someone's own place. Parting of Red Seas. And Egyptian soldiers being crushed by the weight of the water as God's enemies were destroyed before him. Horse and rider thrown into the sea and the rescue of God's people. These are the stories of David's people's past. And he would have remembered his own nights in that same Judean wilderness where he now is as he kept his father's flock. And he probably looked up at the stars in wonder and longed to know the God who created them. Genesis 1 echoing in his mind, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He would remember as a young boy how against any logic he walked straight into the field of battle with a sling against a nine-foot battle giant and proclaimed, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And he threw his stone, and God delivered that enemy into his hand. So David remembered all of these nations' victories and all of his personal victories by the hand of God. He had known the faithfulness of God, and he carried it with him into the wilderness. But I don't think that was the most powerful part of David's past. He had known the faithfulness of God in battle. But he had also known the life-changing rescue of God's forgiveness. He remembered his sin with Bathsheba and his own murderous plot. 
to kill her husband to save his own skin. He remembered the convicting moment when Nathan the prophet walked in and said, you are the man. And he remembered the gut-wrenching shame and remorse as he felt. And he begged God not to take his Holy Spirit from him, but to restore the joy of salvation. He asked God for his iniquity to be covered and his heart restored. God covered it and he restored it. And most of all, David remembered the sweet, satisfying love and forgiveness of God when after all of this failure, he worshiped the Lord in the sanctuary, forgiven and restored. Listen, I've experienced a lot of victories in life. I really have. None of them brings the joy and the love in my heart like the forgiveness of God. Every victory pales in comparison with the steadfast love of my Father. I hope you know that for yourself. But David remembered all that came before the wilderness, and just like God led his ancient people through the wilderness into a land flowing with milk and honey, David knew that he too someday would be brought through this wilderness. God's faithfulness and love in the past to Israel as a people and to David personally had set the table for this feast in the wilderness. Rich, deep, satisfying soul feast dripping from the lips of his praise. Now let me say this before I move on. If you are here this morning and you are in the wilderness and you don't feel the way David did, do not hear what I'm about to say as an indictment against you. God's word tells us there is a time for everything. There is a time to rejoice and there is a time to mourn. If you need to mourn today, mourn. But don't mourn as those who have no hope because you have hope. Remember all the Lord has done for you in the past and hope for your restoration. But for the rest of us, let me apply this a little. I want to say this with a smile on my face. Am I? The wilderness is coming. Thank you. The wilderness is coming. It might be next week. It might be next year. Some of you may escape this life unscathed until that last day. But wilderness is coming. One day, if the Lord tarries, you will stare stare down that last enemy that Jesus has defeated. Death. And on the other side, joy and eternity with God. But in that moment, an enemy nonetheless. Will you be ready for it? The key to hope and joy in the wilderness is intimacy with God that is built before you get there. Those who wait until trouble comes to meditate on the Lord and all His benefits find His love distant and His promises empty. A life lived in the presence of God, prepares the soul to see Him clearly when your world falls apart. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Do you ever go to bed with the taste of the goodness of the Lord still on your lips? If you want to feast in the wilderness, set the table early. But if God's faithfulness and love in the past had set the table for the feast, what God will do in the future, tucks the napkin in his shirt and hands David the utensils. Look at verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The king shall rejoice in God. You see, God had made a promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, God makes this promise. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When I think about my last day, there is is no blessing that God could give. No blessing that God could give stronger than I'm going to take care of your children. Your children will love me and they will serve me. Because I'm not going to let go of them. You see, David knows the end of his story leads to one of his descendants ruling forever. His story is not going to end in this wilderness. It doesn't end in defeat. God brought victory in the past and he will bring it in the future. David's heart is held up by these two pillars. God's faithfulness in the past and his sure promise for the future. And however David's story ends, God's going to be glorified in it. Verse 11 really gets me. The king will rejoice in God. Friends, that is so full of hope. Could there be anything greater on this earth than for the rulers of the earth to bow before God and love Him and worship Him? Can you imagine that? Just for a minute, imagine. Congress calls a a joint press conference tomorrow. Jesus is king. We're here to serve him for, for his glory and for your good. World leaders across the globe. Joint worship surface to the king. I don't know if we'll see that in this lifetime, but we'll see it one day. 
when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God? What would it be like? Well, David pictures a triumphant king reigning over a kingdom of peace. He isn't currently experiencing it in his world. But everything he knows about God in the past and everything he believes about God for the future allows him to long for and in some way, even now, enjoy the peace of the reign of the king in his heart. And you may say, Eric, I don't have that kind of story. I don't have a story as good as David's to remind me in the wilderness that God loves me. You're right. You have a far better story. You see, you thought I was talking about your story. I'm talking about your story and our story. I'm talking about the story of Jesus that is now your story in Him. Listen, we don't have time this morning. You are united with Christ as a believer in His death and in His resurrection, and you will be united in glorification when He returns. Jesus' story is your story. Israel's story is your story. You are rescued from Egypt. You are provided for in the wilderness. You will rejoice when the king returns and gets all worship. In David's story, the ark came to Jerusalem. In your story, God came to Jerusalem in the flesh. In David's story, God defeated an earthly giant on his behalf. In in our story... Jesus defeats the greatest enemies, sin, death, and the devil. In David's stories, the sacrifices to cover his iniquity, they were made by a sinful priest year after year, never fully taking care of the problem. In our story, Jesus was the perfect priest who offered the perfect sacrifice and walks into the actual holy of holies, the presence of his Father, and makes intercession for us. Our story is far better It's far better. And then there's the future. (laughs) Friends, it's the same future David had, but, but we see it more clearly than they saw it in David's day. Now, David was a prophet, so I don't want to speculate on what he how much he did or did not clearly see about the person and work of Christ. But let me walk a fine line. If the hope that David had for his future led him to feast in the wilderness, we should all go change into our pants to have those elastic waistbands. (laughs) David looked into the future and saw all of Israel's enemies conquered and her king at peace with the surrounding nations. Friends, our vision is so much better than that, so much bigger than that. And so much more satisfying, we see King Jesus ruling all creation in justice and righteousness forever. And we will be with him. God will be our God and we will be his people forever. When the angel appeared to Mary in Luke 1 to announce the coming birth of Jesus, listen to what he says to her. Listen, do not be afraid, Mary. 
For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that's us, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's promise to David was fulfilled in the temporary reign of his son Solomon, but it is ultimately fulfilled in the forever reign of King Jesus, Son of God, Son of David. What a mystery, but so beautiful. But if that's still not enough for you, and where you are this morning, it might not be. Listen to these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he speaks to us this morning through his word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also Friends, there is no better place in the universe to be than where Jesus is. And he intends and will take us to be with himself. Now that is a glorious future. You know, in one sense, every day that we live in this beautiful but broken place is wilderness. Some seasons are all wilderness, but most of the time we live in a mixture of joy and sorrow, of gladness and mourning, of weddings and funerals. But don't stop feasting. Hold on. Hold on to what you know about God from His faithfulness in the past and long for, long for the consummation of all that he has promised in Christ. Jesus Christ has prepared a feast for us this morning. And to the faithless, it's a small piece of bread and a half a sip of juice. To the world, this table makes no sense whatsoever. To those of us who believe... It's a feast in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. It convicts where it needs to convict. And the same word brings hope and peace. I pray that it would go and do all that you've attended for it this morning. To get us through this wilderness rejoicing and feasting. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen.